Good morning, good morning. I think uh, an hour ago when we were practicing, it was like 50 degrees, and now it's 90, so that's a nice change.
save us. For God so loved the world that He gave us, His one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking. is waiting God so loved the world Amen You guys can have a seat Josh It's good to see you today You look so nice Hey good morning everybody Hey I'm Josh Hodgson I'm the student pastor here at Rimrock Church Happy to be with you guys worshiping God in this beautiful meadow again uh, this Sunday um, I've got a few announcements for you guys. First of all, if you're a guest or you're uh, visiting us, um, we would love to get to know you. Um, that's a big part of what church is, is community together. And uh, so we want to know your name. We want to know um, and get you plugged into um, relationship with people here. Um, so we have these connect cards. They're back by the basketball hoop. Um, and uh, we'd love to, if you're here um, visiting, head back there, fill out one of these cards so we can get you plugged in. Um, couple other announcements. Uh, this is our last Sunday in the meadow this summer. Um, next Sunday, we'll be back inside, and our two services will begin again. So 9 o'clock and 10.30. Um, and so kids' stuff will start up. The youth program uh, has uh, classes at 9 o'clock, but not during the 10.30. Um, and welcome you guys to check out the adult classes as well during those services. Um, and there's info back there or with the ushers if you want to know more about the small group communities. Um, we also have Wednesday nights starting up again on the 14th. So not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. All our Wednesday night programming for all ages begins again. I'm really looking forward to it, um, and I uh, would love to see you guys there. We start off at 5.30 with our meal, and then uh, about 6.30 we move into the classes for different ages. And uh, little kids end about 7.45. Youth usually end between 8 and 8.30. Um, but love to invite you guys to come be a part of that with us. Um, Boomer also has a parenting, uh, commis parent commissioning ceremony coming up on October 9th. And if you have questions about that, um, you can either talk to Boomer or you can contact the office here at Rimrock to find out more. Um, and so uh, that's just about a month away. And uh, grateful to be here with you guys. Um, as we get ready to worship again, I'm going to open us in prayer. And, uh, and then we can begin again with you guys. God, I just thank you for uh, just... The beauty of the creation around us. God, the sun shining down. Um, Lord, all these things are a reminder of your majesty and your greatness and your power. Um, God, we thank you for your son. And uh, thank you for the light that he is to the world, the hope that he gave us um, because of your mercy. And uh, today, as we lift your name in these songs, God, I pray that we would just give you glory and give you the honor that you deserve. Um, Lord, not just... Uh, here on a Sunday morning, but throughout our week, um, through the way we live and the way we talk. Um, Lord, we love you so much, and we just thank you again for the opportunity to gather together and lift up your name in praise. Uh, we love you. Amen. 
Thanks, Josh. Hey, uh, this is also a special day because it's my son's birthday. He's turning seven. So if you know Elliot, um, tell him happy birthday. He's back there by the tree. He might actually be in the tree sleeping. Um, hey, and uh, also this um, is a really cool weekend for, for my wife and I to lead worship. And um, because about a month ago or sometime in July, we got to do music for Camp Halawasa with um, elementary kids. And uh, the song we just did was one of them that we did. So, um, And the next one we're doing, First Things First, is also one that we did at camp. So I'm sure there's some kids here that would know this one. Um, and it's really cool because the song is just totally based in Scripture, and these kids um, loved these songs by the end of the week and just had had that scripture going through their heads, so uh, it's just really incredible um, to have that happen. So, treasure and hope even the breath that I breathe is not my own there's more to be gathered than riches more for the body than clothes the power to keep me alive is yours alone yours alone is held in the hollow of 
cannot borrow from tomorrow I will trust you for today you will be there in the morning so I will stand and I will sing. keep singing that I will not borrow from tomorrow I will trust you for today you will be I will not borrow from tomorrow. I will trust you for today. You will be there in the morning. So I will stand and I will say, hey, first thing, first things first, I will say.
one more time. something would stick with you guys today, that you'd go home and be curious about something, and it would spark awesome conversation. Jesus, move in this place. We invite you here to be fully present, and we just thank you, God, that you are so grand and so big and so mighty, and you care for us more than the sands and sea. God, thank you for your promises today. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, Rimrock. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Very good. Well, I'm excited because uh, uh, Pastor Ben had asked me all through this year to uh, preach on our family worship uh, weekends, and I'm pretty excited about that. Family worship weekend is all of our elementary kids, our middle school, high school kids all join in uh, worship with us here. And so uh, that's been a special treat for me. And so welcome to all of our uh, elementary age kids, our middle school and high school kids. It's been, uh, that is a, a blessing to me to have you guys here as a part of the, uh, the service. And so what I've been trying to do all through the summer or uh, as we've been going through is to put together a special uh, way for you guys to take notes on the sermon. So any of our kids, if you didn't get one of these, uh, raise your hand way up tall. Mr. Colton's going to bring you some, uh, bring you one. But if you want uh, something to take notes on, it's special just for kids, uh, kind of help you track with what we're talking about. Because guess what? God's word is not just for the adults. God's word is also for kids. It was given to all of us. And, uh, and so we're excited to be able to share uh, God's word today. We're in this series as we're walking through the gospel of Mark, and uh, it's been just a, a great journey through it. In fact, as a preaching team, initially we were taking these really big chunks out of Mark, and there's so much that happens. Mark moves very, very quickly, lots of action in this gospel, and so we... Uh, uh, we decided just to kind of extend the series and slow down a little bit, take smaller pieces. And today, uh, I get to be in Mark chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got your app, uh, open it to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start in uh, verse 13. 
um, the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, Jesus talking about kind of focusing in on uh, the importance of the heart and how the heart is the, the spring for uh, the good things in life. If our heart is good, then good things overflow. But it's also the place where the enemy wants to come in and corrupt. And so sin also has its uh, root in the heart. And Jesus, over and over in chapter 7, he addresses it. Uh, in chapter 8, he addresses it. In chapter 9, he addresses it. And now in chapter 10, he's going to kind of come back again and point to the heart as being the issue. And so let's pick up the, uh, the narrative in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And today I'm using the New International Version. This is what it says. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he goes on in 15. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. This is... Uh, it was not uncommon for the rabbis of the day to have people bring their children and have them want to bless their children. I've, I've worked in churches before, the uh, baby dedications, and it was a really important thing for the senior pastor to hold those kids and pray over those kids. And our parenting commissioning, our parent commissioning that we do is kind of that opportunity for parents to bring their kids and to say, hey, we're, we're all about passing our faith on to our kids. This was a, it wasn't an uncommon thing. And yet we see Jesus really welcoming. It wasn't a passive thing. Jesus really welcoming these children to come and be uh, with him, to be near him, uh, not just for the blessing, but Jesus, the master, of, uh, master teacher, turns this opportunity into an object lesson, not just for his disciples, but for everyone that's there. And he says, listen, listen, the kingdom of God is different. It's different than the world's kingdom where there's a hierarchy and some people are more important than other people. Jesus says, like, let these kids come. And then he uses it as an object lesson. And look at what he says in, in verse 14. He says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. This is one of the only times that we see this word used uh, by G, or about Jesus. It, he, was, he was fired up. It, it struck a chord with him that his disciples would deflect some people from being able to be near him. I think the disciples probably had good intention. They were probably trying to protect Jesus' time. You know, he has more important things to do. He's the head honcho, so we're going to deflect the less important people. And Jesus, it struck a chord with him. And he said, no, stop. The kingdom of God is different. And the people that want to come to God and they come in a childlike way, those are the people that will experience the kingdom. He says, let the little children come to me. Don't 
hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Matthew's version of this encounter, Matthew 18, 3, Jesus says it this way, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That word lowly means humble. Let's take a minute and think about uh, what are the characteristics of a child? I'm not talking about a spoiled child who's learned to act like an adult. I mean a, an innocent child. What are the characteristics, the things that we notice in the way that they interact with other people and the, the things that they think about themselves? They're humble. Kids assume that they don't have anything to offer. They assume that they don't bring a lot to the party. They admit their needs even for minor necessities. Mama, can I have a glass of water? They're dependent on their parents. They trust their parents' plan and provision. And they understand that they don't have any options. If a parent doesn't provide for a child, the child goes without. Jesus is saying if, if we don't come to the kingdom with that childlike attitude, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Children don't just cohabitate with their parents. They rely on their parents for everything. As I was thinking about this, the two stories came to mind of, of times that my kids demonstrated childlike faith. And when Blake was about three years old, we were living in Arizona and uh, in the kind of one of the suburbs of Phoenix. There weren't a ton of trees. All the trees there were, well, they were kind of weird. They, they grew, they were always crooked and they didn't grow very tall off the ground. Um, but it was really cool then because that meant that Blake could climb that tree. So he'd climb up the, the trunk of the tree, which is kind of crooked, and he'd be holding on to the branches, and he, he worked his way up to where the, he was on a, the, the, a branch that was about just a little above my head. And he squatted down on that branch, little fat legs, and he was holding on. And he's like, I could tell. Like he wanted more adventure. You know what I'm saying? So I'm standing right in front of him. I'm right, I'm right here. He's, his feet are right here. I said, jump. I'll catch you. Now, I know I don't look like it, but I'm strong enough to catch a three-year-old. You know, he was only right here. We're not talking two stories. Like, he was right here. I was confident in my abilities. He scoots, he's, he's on the branch, and I can tell he wants to. So he scooches his feet just a little further. Come on, jump, I'll, I'll catch you. You can trust me. Scooches his feet a little further. Well, he scooched just a little too far. He fell, which I'll count as he jumped because he trusts his dad. And I caught him. And I think he was relieved. And I was relieved. And it was really, really good. And I was like, see, I caught you. You can trust me. And then he says, 
Can I do it again? Yeah. Climbs up, does it again. Two or three, four times. But that faith of a kid, and he's, and he's a little, uh, uh, I'm not sure, but he trusts. And, and, and he tests, and he finds out, oh, oh, my dad is trustworthy. And then he's willing. Man, he's willing. He's, he trusts. I was thinking about Kara and the, when she was in kindergarten, we had a dear friend named Amy who was um, sick, uh, terminally ill. And as a family, we were praying for her. As a church family, we were praying. And, and that, that prayer life just was easy for Kara in that stage of her life. And she, she was praying and she was believing that God was big enough to work. And, and in her mind, in her world, everybody prayed. And everybody prayed expecting that God would move. And the story came back one day that she was in her, uh, in her kindergarten class. And as they had kind of sharing time in a circle at the end of the, the day of class, she raises her hand and she says, to her teacher. Can we just have the whole class pray for my friend Amy? She didn't realize that not everybody had that particular approach to a need, but Kara had that kind of faith. It said, man, I know, I know that God is big enough to do it. I know that God's big enough to do it. And she invited other people in. It's, that's the character of a child, the nature of a child, to be trusting, to be humble, to uh, admit that they can't fix the problem. And it's a beautiful way that Mark starts this series of vignettes to help us get a picture of entering or how to enter into the kingdom. Jesus says that we were to receive things from the Father Trusting in his provision and with our uh, humility, with a humility about our ability and a, a willingness to depend on his goodness and faithfulness. This is how we must come to Jesus. In a childlike way. But what's beautiful is that Mark then gives us a contrasting example uh, as we continue, he puts this right after uh, the encounter with Jesus and the children. Look in uh, verse 17 and the story continues. So now Jesus and his disciples start on their way and a man ran up to tell him or ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do, God, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything that you have Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around 
And he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. I want to just back up and I want to look at this in pieces because here's a, a man who, uh, a, an impressive man, a young man it says. Uh, it, Luke gives us the detail that he was, that he had some status of leadership. And here's a man who, and, and he was wealthy. And he, and he presents his resume to Jesus. He says, I've done all these things. I've checked all these boxes. What else is there? And I think, he's, I think he's genuine in the wanting to inherit eternal life. I think he's genuine in his asking. But the way that he approached the question reveals that he has this superficial understanding about how to gain the kingdom of heaven. He believes that it was his good works and his religious activity that would gain him favor with God. That's what he presents. Most, un, most unsaved people think that God will one day add up all of their good works and weigh them against their bad works. And if their good outweighs their bad, then they'll go to heaven. But to hold that view, we also have to have an ungodly view of sin and righteousness. Sin is defined as anything that doesn't meet God's standard of holiness, perfection. When Ben discussed last week how King Herod explained away or wanted to, um, uh, to live as if sin was okay. Oh, it's all right. It's not that bad. You should pursue that. And he got really he got really offended when someone suggested that sin was wrong. His sin. On the other hand, Ben pointed out that the Pharisees tried to legislate people into righteousness. To create rules and say, well, do this and you'll be righteous. But both of them missed it. Because neither one of those approaches, uh, avoiding and, and, and ignoring and accepting sin or legislating righteousness, neither one of those deals with the root issue, which is the heart. And so Jesus takes a different approach. Look in verse 21. I want you to catch this. Verse 21, Jesus looked at the man and he, what? He loved him. I don't want you to miss that. Jesus, in the first vignette, Jesus loved the children. He invited the children to come and to be with him. Notice what he does here. He loved this man. He loved this man. And he invited him to come be a part. But he had to deal 
with the thing that was in the way. The one thing you lack, Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus points to the one thing that that man would have pointed to to say, I'm being pleasing to God. In that culture, for, I mean, for hundreds of years, the understanding and the belief was that if you were pleasing to God and right with God and you had God's favor and blessing, that the blessing came in a, in a tangible monetary um, wealth. And so when you looked at someone and they were wealthy, oh, they're pleasing to God. And here this young man who's influential and rich, and he comes to Jesus and he gives Jesus his resume. I've checked all these boxes. And you want to know? You want to know how I know that that pleases God? Because I'm wealthy. It was, that was an easy equal sign for him. And Jesus dismisses it. He says, yeah, you don't get it. That thing that you point to as God's favor is actually the one hurdle that keeps you from really coming into relationship with him. In the late 1800s, I, I researched this this week. This phrase came to my mind. I wanted to kind of find out where it came from. In the late 1800s, there was a physics book that included an illustration of an impossible task. Here was, the, here was the illustration. To pull oneself up by one's bootstraps. I don't know how, how many of you are wearing boots today? Anybody? Raise your hand. Be proud. It's all right. Boots. Anybody? Yeah, none of us. All right. Good. Excellent. Oh, one. I see one. Do your boots have straps? So this is a thing like, we're like boot, bootstraps, what? There's probably a movie quote. Some of you guys are thinking of the, the movie quote. That's all right. It's boots with straps. You use them to pull your boot on. The illustration in the physics book is if you try to pull yourself up off the ground by your bootstraps, it ain't going to work. But here's the interesting thing that that phrase has morphed into Meaning this, here's the definition, improving one's situation through hard work and self-determination rather than getting assistance from someone else. That thinking is so classically American. I'm not saying that it started with us, but we have definitely embraced it. That effort and hard work and determination can overcome any obstacle. And for sure, in many areas of life, those things make a difference. This is how we tend to want to come to Jesus. By my own effort, by my own determination, by my own hard work, I'm going to get to Jesus. And what it does is it means that we come with these attitudes that we're proud, thinking that we've accomplished something of value. That we're self-sufficient, thinking that we can provide for ourselves. That we're independent, thinking that we know how to best navigate life. And I'm here to tell you, do you notice that list compared to the list of characteristics of a child? Two ends of the spectrum. 
And the one thing that Jesus said to this young man that needed to change was he needed to remove the things that he was relying on. Jesus needed to peel away the things that he took pride in and the things that caused him or allowed him to be self-sufficient, the things that allowed him uh, to be independent. He said, that's the thing that's standing in your way from getting to the kingdom. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and he said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? Because they were living with the paradigm as well. God's favor equals material wealth. And Jesus just took that off. The table, and they are lost. How do we enter the kingdom? And it is a critical question. They're saying, whoa, if the wealthy, those who uh, have this sign that God's pleased with them, if they can't get into heaven, then who can? But Jesus has been laying down clues for his whole ministry that the kingdom of God is different. In Matthew chapter 9, Starting in verse 10, this is what Jesus says. He says in a, he's in a different crowd, speaking to a different audience. He's having dinner with a tax collector and all of that guy's friends. And the religious leaders, of course, come over because they're always interested in what Jesus is going to do to mess something up. And that's the audience. Despised, low-class, haughty religious leaders all in one room. Jesus tended to get that audience quite often, that mix. And here's what happens. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, tax collector, sinner, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. He gives them a riddle. I love Jesus. He is, so, he is so good. You guys think you're so smart. Go chew on this one for a minute. Here's what he says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about that now. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, Jesus was in the unique position in that room to be able to evaluate and say, y'all are sinners. None of you are righteous. So it's not like he's saying, you guys over here, you guys are all right. Let me talk to the losers. And I, I'm just, you know, I just turned. It's not you guys out here. You know what I'm saying? Jesus could evaluate that whole room and say, none of you are righteous. So what's he talking about? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, clearly, clearly what we're after are people who recognize their need. 
He says, I have nothing to offer the self-righteous because they don't even know that they're missing something. They feel like they've got it all together. I'm not here to call the self-righteous. The gospel doesn't apply to the self-righteous because they don't know their need. And I think that that's why Jesus says in Mark 10, 27, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Because when we are blinded to our need, we have got to have somebody outside ourselves that reveals to us our blindness. And God can do that in a person's life. Jesus doesn't say with more effort, it's possible. With greater sincerity, it's possible. With more luck, with more confidence, uh, with more introspection and more self-help books. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, with God, it is possible. And so here's the third question, or here's the, the next part in your uh, outline, is how does God make this possible? And I absolutely love that Mark continues the story. Do you see that? Jesus and his disciples were headed somewhere. They're interrupted by this young man. Jesus says, oh, wait, children on one end of the spectrum. This guy, I'll help. Yeah, that's the other end of the spectrum. Mark is laying it out for us so we can see it. And now he asks this question. The, the disciples ask the question, how can someone be saved? And Mark provides an answer just by finishing the story here. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus was leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Like he has seriously disrupted the worldview of his disciples and the people that are following him with his comment about who's getting into the kingdom of heaven. And again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Jesus says, we're going up to Jerusalem the Son of Man's going to be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later, he will rise. I believe that Mark finishes this story, our third vignette, in order to answer the question, how does God make it possible? And the answer is only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus' death and burial and resurrection do we have even the possibility of entering into his kingdom. But we have to come to him with that attitude of a child, with a childlike innocence and humility. Jesus knows that left to ourselves, we're without hope that we'll either ignore sin or we'll accept sin or we'll try to overcome sin by human effort. So he provided the only solution. The only solution that meets God's demand for justice because sin must be paid for with blood and provides God's mercy because 
God doesn't want us to die. He wants to be in relationship with us. He provides the only solution that meets both of those needs. Because his son, who did not deserve to die, was not dying for his own sin, died. And God applied that blood to our sin and was able to extend mercy while also satisfying justice. Paul explains the solution in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But listen to this, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were not good. We were not looking for him. We were not pursuing him. And yet Jesus died for us. Paul sums it up. It says it this way in verse 10. Look at this. Uh, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... How much more have been, how much, uh, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Folks, this is the gospel. When we come to Jesus with a humble spirit, seeing ourselves as sinful and broken and helpless, when we admit our need to him, when we depend on him, when we trust in his ability to save us and his willingness to rescue us, we will be saved. I want to close with these words from the Apostle Paul, and I want them to serve as an invitation calling you to respond to Jesus. I want you to consider, will you submit your will? Will you submit your, your heart to him today? And I, I'll just, I, if you're feeling, if you're, if you're feeling a prompting in your spirit and in your heart and your mind today, to respond to Jesus. You've misunderstood the gospel and you thought that you had to check the boxes in order to be good enough before God would receive you. If you've heard clearly the gospel today, that it doesn't matter where you are or what you've done, but that Jesus has already done all the work and he wants you to come. If you come with that humble and broken and honest kind of approach to him, he will welcome you. But I really, I don't want you to leave today without talking to somebody. Pastor Ben's going to be right down here. I just signed you up for that, Ben. I'll be right down here. Don't leave without speaking to someone saying, I heard the gospel for the first time. What's next? Let me read these words from the Apostle Paul out of Romans chapter 10. And this is in the message uh, paraphrase. And let this be your invitation. Listen to God's word. In fact, can I just invite you guys to stand? 
Obviously, you don't have to, but I'm asking. Stand as I read this paraphrase of God's word. Listen to what this says. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and to set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it. You say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Let me pray for us. God, you are incredible. That you would pursue us while we were still your enemies, while we were still pursuing our own sin. And you came and you did the work on our behalf. You invited us into your kingdom, into relationship with you. And God, I'm praying today, I'm praying that your spirit is stirring and is working among these people. And there may be people who are far from you, who have never heard the gospel, never heard it clearly. Father, would you please just draw their hearts to bend their will, to bend their knee to you, to, to submit their heart to you. Say, God, I can't do this. And God, there are some of us who have put our faith in you and we are your children, but we are living like we need to check the boxes. And God, would you just bring conviction that we do not need to live by the power of the flesh like that. But Father, that you have done the work and we can just come and rest and live in the overflow of your grace. God, bring conviction today to this group to those who are listening, those who are hearing the gospel, maybe for the very first time, God, bring your work because we know that left to us, it's impossible, but with you, it is possible. And you want to do it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been asked to pass along a very short announcement. Kids, if you filled out your notes, you can bring those over to Angie, and she has something special for you if you followed along in your notes with Pastor Boomer today. a peace I've come to know and though my heart and flesh may fail and there's an anchor for my soul
are so big. And I just pray that if we have any questions or doubts in our head, that we would not just forget about those, but we would pursue them. We would talk to people, and we would just be honest. Amen. Have a great day, guys.